I ask that you open your copy of God's Word to the book of Luke. You may notice a theme with this Advent season. I've been in Luke quite a bit. Don't worry, we won't only be in Luke for Advent, but I think Luke does a really great job of giving us the details, as any good doctor would do, of the story. So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to have Mary's praise, but we'll start in verse 39. The Christmas song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, is, as you can tell from the title, about joy. Joy that comes from knowing Christ. I wonder if that could be said about you. Do you have joy? Do you have joy this season? And even more so, do you have a strong desire for Jesus Christ? What is the purpose of this holiday to you? A quote from a well-known pastor says this. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Let me read that again. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. So it's not because you're satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Think about that in the context of dinner and popcorn. We like to have popcorn for dinner sometimes at our house. And our children will stuff themselves with popcorn and not be ready for any other type of meal, right? And, and the reality is it's not because they're, they're not, they have all the nutrients that they need. It's because they have been stuffing themselves with something that is so empty, empty calories. And in the same way, I think our faith in Christ, our, our relationship with our Lord is like this. It's not because we are so satisfied with Christ that we don't need him anymore. It's because we've just barely nibbled at him, but we've drunk deeply from the world. In this passage, we're going to see that Elizabeth and Mary burst forth in joy over Jesus Christ. And so the, the summary statement of this message is that in the ordinary, joyless world, we see joy burst forth. And we can personally experience, experience this Holy Spirit-inspired joy. You can have Holy Spirit-inspired joy this season. No matter what you are going through and no matter what you've been through. So... If you have your Bibles open, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary set out, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, then returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, as we approach you this morning in worship through baptism and worship through song and worship through prayer, Lord, help us to be a joyful adoration of you. Father, stir up within us holy affections that are centered on Christ. God, we ask that we would be moved in our spirits, in our hearts, to worship you this morning. Father, as this season is really in its full swing, that we would recognize that you are who we are to worship. We're not to worship the things of this world. Lord, help us to dig deep and eat and drink deeply from who Christ is and not the things of this world. Lord, help us to find joy in you alone. Lord, help us to see the transient nature, the vanity of everything else. God, we ask for your your help and your hope as we go through this time of the season, and we ask for your mercy, because we so desperately need it. Father, we pray uh, for those around the world that are, are being martyred for the faith. Lord, we don't take it lightly that we are able to celebrate and worship in the comfort of our homes, in the comfort of a building that has heat and air conditioning, um, with comfortable seats. We're not on dirt floors, worshiping and praising you in joy. Lord, we're not being martyred daily. And we thank you for that. But Lord, help us to have a a strong faith, uh, even in spite of the lack of persecution. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this season can be very tough for some people because we have some people who are are just able to enjoy it. We have people who are able to uh, embrace and rejoice without any reservations this season. But yet others are weighed down. They're weighed down with guilt, with shame, and even great grief over the loss of loved ones, or burdened by heavy memories during this season. It's really a tough subject to preach on during this season. If you think about it, we have many people who have lost loved ones, and this will be their first Christmas without them. How do you preach a sermon on joy 
to someone who has experienced great loss recently. That's the challenge. There's so many emotions that are wrapped up in this season. But the reality is you can have joy during this season and really every other season because joy is caused by the Holy Spirit. Joy could be defined as the happy state that results from knowing and serving God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the fruit of a right relation with God. It is not something that people can create by their own efforts. You can't make yourself joyful. You cannot make your emotions do what you want them to do. In fact, the Bible distinguishes joy from pleasure. So when a person walks with the Lord, the person can continue to rejoice even when trouble comes. Jesus spoke about those who could rejoice even when persecuted and killed in Matthew 5.12. Paul wrote of rejoicing in suffering because of the final fruit that would result, Romans 5, 3-5. Peter and James also echoed the Lord's teaching about rejoicing in troubles, 1 Peter 1, 6-8, and James 1, 2. In a dark and broken world, the Holy Spirit brings forth joy. And joy produces greater joy. I don't know about you, but I think some of us have a very small range of emotions We have a very small bandwidth. And if you're like me, you have sort of a a train track of an emotional state, if you will. When something happens that I don't like, I get either angry or depressed, right? If my wife says something that I don't like, I'm going to start moping. And I know a lot of you men in this room do that. You start grumbling and, and... and that's, those are the emotions that we have. Very rarely do we delight. Very rarely do I have joy. Very rarely do I see something and get excited about it. Why is that? I think it's because this world seeks to dampen joy and happiness and delight and enhance depression, sadness, and anger. Anger seems to be the acceptable emotion uh, of our time maybe brought on by social media uh, and the news. But the reality of this is that the mundane can be joyful because the work of the Holy Spirit. This joy is found in a person. The person, of course, is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit inspires joyful worship. Look at verse 39 with me. I want you to think about this Elizabeth for just a minute. It says, in those days, Mary set out, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. So she's going to see her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is, is much older, uh, probably past child-rearing age, child-bearing age. And so she has really experienced quite a lot of difficulty in her life. If you know anything about those days, they did not have nursing homes and care facilities. Your children and grandchildren were your insurance policy. Right, if you needed a child to take care of you, and if you did not have a child, that means you're dependent on someone else's children. And so for Elizabeth, as her age is, is growing and she's seeing that she's not having any children, this is becoming concerning. 
not too unlike Hannah from 1 Samuel 1.1. And it's interesting that Luke ties the hill country language together with Hannah. Hannah in the hill country and Elizabeth Mary in the hill country. But joy busts into this story out of nowhere, seemingly surprisingly. So both Mary and Elizabeth are with child now. Uh, the Lord has a soft fit to use Mary to give birth to Jesus, and Elizabeth is going to have John the Baptist. And we see that these holy affections bust out of Elizabeth. In verse 44 it says, For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. What a powerful picture of joy. Just the voice of Mary was enough for John the Baptist to jump for joy in the womb. Joy comes from the inside. Look at verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary says that her joy comes from inside of her. It is not an external, forced, coerced feeling. She's not making herself joyful. It doesn't come from drugs or drinks or anything earthly that can be produced. It comes by the Spirit to our spirit. It is, it is sensed by faith, not by sight. This is, you know, this is such an important subject. I really want the young folks in the room who are um, starting out in life. Everything is really kind of exciting. Um, when I was, uh, I've been teaching for the school uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I've been watching them rehearse for the Christmas program. And as I'm sitting there watching these rehearsals, I, know, I like to look at what the young boys are doing, because the young boys like to get into trouble. And you may not have noticed this, Kevin, Nick, and all of you guys, but I was watching you. And as I watched you on the stage, I noticed that you really enjoyed causing problems. You were picking on things and playing with things and making jokes. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with this, but you are finding great joy in the simple things. The reality is as you get older, you're going to lose your sense of joy. Things are going to become a lot more ho-hum. And I think the reason is because as we age, we begin to notice that things are not as attractive as they promise to be. And so we don't want to get our feelings crushed. And what happens is we begin to lose a sense of joy. If you start now and you begin to delight in the Lord, it will only grow from here. And I want you to begin to seek joy in Christ. And we're going to see how to do that through this message. So as, as you're listening, as you're, I want you to think very specifically, Edward and Silas, how do I put this into action in my very life? And for those of us who have been around the block a few years, maybe we'll learn a few things. So remember, first of all, that joy comes from the inside. God's Spirit impacting our spirit. Both Elizabeth and Mary, they've experienced great suffering and pain in their life. We know that Elizabeth was quite old, and it was a great mercy for her to have a child. It was, in fact, miraculous 
for Elizabeth and Mary to both have children. Mary, because she's a young virgin. Imagine the gossip that would have happened around Mary being pregnant. How many people would buy the story that it was the Holy Spirit that gave her a child? Right? It is quite astonishing that she would have to put up with probably a lot of people talking behind her back. But yet she's rejoicing in Jesus. And this joy comes from somewhere. It comes from holy knowledge. So holy affections come from holy knowledge. However, here's the deal. My feelings don't define the truth. My feelings are just echoes and responses to what my mind perceives And many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. How many of you ever have been married and maybe love your spouse but don't like them very much sometimes? Not all the time, sometimes. Sometimes you look at your wife and say, I love you, but I really don't like you right now. Right? The reality is our affections are telling us that something is not right and we should be disjointed. But the reality is, the truth is, love is still there. It's a binding thing. We learn an important principle here. That joyful worship is not on the basis of no knowledge. Right. So just because I feel happy doesn't mean that I have a cause to feel happy. Just because I feel sad doesn't mean I have a cause to feel sad. Right? The, the, the modern world would have you follow your heart. But Jeremiah 17 says, what? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it? I'm not going to follow something that's deceitfully wicked above all things. I'm just going to warn you. So we need to make sure that our emotions get in sync with the truth. So I want you to be joyful in the Lord based on truth. We get joyful in the Lord based on truth, not because I'm going to a a big concert and getting the, the, the mood going. Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting and the baby jumped. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and cries out poetically as her emotions are stirred and then she has a confusing exclamation because it shows a supernatural understanding of Mary and Jesus. Look at 43 with me. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How did Elizabeth know this? That this Jesus in her womb is the Lord of the universe. That's pretty amazing. It's a a Holy Spirit, supernatural understanding of what is going on. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth has supernatural knowledge of what is going on. So let me ask you a question. Do you always feel joy? Is it constant in your life? Does it never wane or never fade? Is Is that a realistic Christian understanding of life? A lot of my my older saints in the room are, are saying, nope. Because they've experienced the coming and going of joy. And in fact, I would say that that we only get a taste of what true joy looks like in this life because we're going to see it in fullness in the next. But there's a poem 
uh, well, it comes from a hymn by a man named Horatius Boner, and he said, he writes this hymn, it's called, I Hear the Words of Love. And he really seems to point to this ebb and flow. Listen to these words. My love is oft times low, my joy still ebbs and flows, but peace with him remains the same, no change my Savior knows. I change, he changes not, the Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. Isn't that pretty powerful? I change, he changes not. So just like our love can ebb and flow, just like our patience ebbs and flows, the one thing that never changes is Christ. So if we are to center our joy on one thing, what do you think it needs to be centered on? Christ. Elizabeth was not meant to be somebody. She was meant to know somebody. The reality with Elizabeth is that she has to know Christ as her Lord. So the question is, what about you? Do you know this Jesus? When you think about him, does your heart leap for joy within you? Do you have the same response as Elizabeth when you read the words of Christ in Scripture? Does your heart jump? If it doesn't, it might be because you don't know him. It might be because you haven't spent time getting to know him. So how to know God is really the rest of this passage. And I think we can see in a pattern, or in Mary, a pattern for how to really know God. So how can you learn Holy Spirit-inspired, joyful worship from Mary's praise? Well, first we're going to notice that Mary presents a posture, a privilege, and a place of a true worshiper. Isn't that really cool? It all has P's in it. A posture, a privilege, and a place of a true worshiper. So to be a true worshiper, to have this Holy Spirit-inspired joy, the first thing you need to do is to present the posture of a true worshiper. When we look at Mary, verse 46 through 47, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. As you look at this whole magnificent, this whole song that Mary sings here, you will notice that it is scripture-saturated. So the first thing, the posture of a true worshiper is that you are scripture saturated. She's quoting from 1 Samuel 2.1, from Psalm 35.9, from Psalm 89.8, from Zephaniah 3.17, from Psalm 71.19, from Psalm 126.2-3, from Leviticus 23, from Leviticus 22.2 and 32, from 1 Chronicles 16.10, 29 and 16. Um, she's also quoting from Psalm 30, verse 4, Psalm 99, verse 3, Psalm 103, verse 1, Psalm 111, verse 9, Psalm, Isaiah 57, 15, and Psalm 100. All of those are quoted in the song. Imagine how much you must know Scripture to bust out in song that is Scripture-saturated. 
And I don't know about you, but I have a hard time memorizing one verse at a time, much less all these verses. But I will tell you, the more time you spend saturating your mind with Scripture, the more you will just be able to bust forth in Psalms, in Proverbs, in these passages. Mary's worship is that of a woman who was bathed in Scripture, that when her heart stirred her to joy, she spoke God's word in praise. I want to ask you, how many of you proclaim Scripture when rejoicing? Now, I think sometimes living here in Sierra Vista, we are very spoiled. We get to look out and see these mountains, right? And one of the constant refrains when I first moved here was, where does my help come from? Right? My help doesn't come from the hills. It comes from the Lord. And, and I keep remembering that every time I look at the mountains, uh, and that comes from a psalm. Maybe it's time to start memorizing Scripture. You know, the one duty of the Christian is to be to, is to know God. That is our that is our primary job as a Christian, as a believer, to know God. When I was in the army, one of the main things that I would do is I would look at tactical situations and then look at the situation that I'm in and compare. I'm driving down the road. I'm looking for ambush points. I'm driving around the road. I'm looking at choke points. I'm looking at how would I respond to a, a, a near ambush and a far ambush. Well, I like to do my job really well. Maybe a little nerded out a little bit too much. But I'm looking at all these and I'm thinking about my profession. So what is my profession? Well, it's that of a war fighter. I had to be ready to fight battles. As Christians, our profession is to know God. So what are we filling our mind with? Are we filling our mind with the things of God? Are you driving to and from work thinking about Scripture? Are you sitting and watching the news and thinking about Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage? Are we driving um, and having phone conversations with our in-laws and reminding ourselves to love them? Right? What are we doing with our mind? What are you doing with your mind? When you don't have to think about anything else, what are you thinking of? The reality is it should be Scripture. Would you find joy in this life? Would you have joy that passes understanding and the, and the peace that passes understanding? You have to saturate your mind with Scripture. Not one time, not one week, not one day, forever. That is our job, is to know God. So young, young folks, would you have joy? Do you want to be joyful? then you must saturate your mind with God's Word. Fill it with the things of God. Fill it with Scripture. This, this is the only thing that I know of that produces a, a, an ever-bubbling fountain of joy in my own heart. But she also has a very humble posture. Look at verse... Um, before we leave 47, look at, look at this one verse. It says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I want you to think about Mary for a minute. Some people will say that Mary was sinless and perfect. If a sinless, perfect person, they would not need a Savior, would they? This is probably the one death knell to that topic. Mary needed a Savior, which means she is what? 
a sinner like the rest of us. Okay. So, 48 through 50, she presents a humble posture. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. You know, the fact that she has chosen to bear Christ did not puff her up. She didn't walk around to the other ladies and be like, hey, what, what kind of baby you got in there? I got, I got the Savior of the world. No big deal. Right? She, she didn't magnify herself. She magnified the Lord. She had a humble posture. She realized her place and knew that she was to fear the Lord. Um, you know, it, as it continues down to verse 50, she says, His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. The more you know God, the more you should fear Him. You can also learn Holy Spirit-inspired joyful worship from Mary's praise in that she presents the privilege of a true worshiper. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is the privilege of a true worshiper. Thankfulness for being chosen for this privilege. You know, you and I don't deserve salvation. There's, there's nothing good or lovely about us apart from Christ. If you are in charge of picking the kingdom of God's people, you and I would not be chosen. I'm just going to break it to you. Right? We are not worthy of such great a salvation. And if that's the case, then if we understand the depths of our sinfulness and our very nature is to continually not find joy and delight in our Lord, we are going to rejoice more in God's mercy because it was bestowed upon us. We begin to become more and more thankful Finally, Mary presents the place of a true worshiper. 51 says, He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. All generations will praise God for her. Her response is typical of our response to God's work. It should be typical. So let's look at the lines of this poem. Let's look at how she recognizes where she falls in this thing. Verse 51, he has done. Then the next line, he has scattered. Then the next line, he has toppled the mighty. Then the next line, he has satisfied the hungry. Then the next line, he has helped his servant Israel. Who did this? He did this. That's the place that we must have as we worship our king. Who did this mighty work of God? He has done this. So if it depended on us, we would not be so joyful, would we? We would not be able to, to sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee, 
it would be joyful, joyful, we adore me, right? That would be the, the way we would turn it. But how often is that our pattern? How often do we try to adore ourselves in this life? Rather than putting our focus on the one who came to die, the God of the, the palace did not require that we would climb up to the mountain to see him, but he came to the lowly, to us. How often do we think, it's all about me, my, my comfort, my happiness, my satisfaction. Kevin and I were, were talking the other day. I hate to call him out in the middle of a sermon. And he, uh, he likes it. Um, he brought up the fact, how often do we, we ask for prayer for our needs, our wants, our desires? And how little do we pray for the lost? How little do we pray for the persecuted? How little do we pray for those that are suffering um, and, and, and losing their souls in this world? And I thought that was a very uh, astute observation. How often do we pray, Lord, I really hope that my job is not annoying today. Whereas we have people that are dying without knowing Christ. That's a pretty powerful corrective, I think, to our self-absorbed world. So the solution for joy is not more of me, is not more of my comforts, my desires, my presence, my you name it. The corrective for joy is more of God, more of delighting in Him, more of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, is more saturating our minds with Christ. The question I want to ask you is, are you ready to burst out in joyful praise to God? Are you ready to focus your worship with a stirring up of the affections based on the truth of the gospel? When you see little kids singing praises to our Lord in these Christmas pageants, do you think of, oh, how cute these children are? Or do you think of, what a great and mighty Savior we have? Are you ready to worship in all of life with a joyful expectation of the mercy and the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and a longing for Jesus? Because I know that I am. Are you able to say with Job, in the depths of your suffering, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord? Can you say that? Remember what Job went through? He didn't get a splinter. He didn't stub his toe. He lost his children, his livelihood, and his health. But he kept his wife. Since we started with a quote, I want to end with a quote. The same pastor that I quoted earlier said, Joy in Christ is the deep good feelings in loving him and believing him. It's the echo in our emotions, our hearts, of experiencing Christ as precious and experiencing Christ as reliable. It's the deep good feelings of being attracted to him for who he is and the deep good feelings of being confident in him for what he will do. Think about that for a minute. Joy in Christ is the deep good feelings in loving him and believing him. 
is the echo in our emotions, our hearts of experiencing Christ as precious and experiencing Christ as reliable. It's the deep good feelings of being attracted to him for who he is and the deep good feelings of being confident in him for what he will do. The reason we turn away from sin is because sin dampens our joy. The reason I want to not be in a fight with my wife is so that I can love her better. Have you ever uh, tried to talk to your spouse after having an argument? Uh, maybe you wanted to, to be romantic and you, you have an argument and then you go up to her and you try to give her like a kiss on the cheek or whatever and you know, they turn away from you. Or You ever see that before? Fortunately for us, the Lord is not capricious like that. But the reason why we don't have intimacy with our Lord, and the reason why we don't have joy with God, is because sin is dampening that joy. The sin that you are clinging to is keeping you from the joy in Christ. The first step to having joy with God is, through Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. If you don't have that, you're not even on the journey. You won't even be able to taste the joy that comes from the Lord. So if you haven't made that decision to follow him with your whole heart, now's the day to do it. This is the day of decision. This is the time. Do not wait. Uh, There's a, a proverb that says, the wicked flee when no one is looking. Unbelievers have something hanging over their head. And they, they may not even fully recognize that this is looming over them. But that is why there's so much misery. If you can get rid of that first, it's kind of like someone who murders someone and, and buries their body in a lake. At some point, that body's coming up. And you're living your whole life waiting to see if I'm going to get caught for the murder of this person. And many of us who do not have Christ, we're murderers. Waiting for conviction, waiting for jail time, waiting for eternal consequences. If that's you today, let's get that taken care of. Get into a relationship with our Lord. Uh, and then once that joy has begun to be a fountain in your soul, you'll be able to praise him. So I want you to, to join me in joyful worship as we will close in prayer. Uh, when you sing this song... Stir up your affections. Don't just mouth the words. Actually sing this with your whole heart with gusto. Sing this more than you would cheer for the World Cup. I don't know if there's any World Cup people out here. More than you watch the U of A basketball game, Gary. Uh, we want to worship our Lord with more joy and more excitement than we do the, the most recent Netflix show. All right, let's worship our King for He is worthy. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us and your grace upon us. Lord, I pray that our congregation would be a congregation that is full of joy. Joy that is not seasonal. Joy that is not based on getting gifts or feeling good, uh, gushy feelings, but is fully placed on the truth of the gospel, that you have provided a hope through your dear Son, Jesus Christ, that we have a Savior, a high priest, a prophet, a priest, and a king that can stand between us and total destruction because of his work and not our own. Lord, that's the kind of joy 
that will continue even in the in the hard times we can be like Paul and Silas in the in the prison singing praises to you in the Philippian jail while we're shackled and in chains Lord help us to be joyful and that we would adore you with all of our joy and we ask these things in in Christ's beautiful name and through the power of the spirit amen